Our second lesson for this morning continues on in the book of Acts. We are in chapter 13, reading the first three verses and then skipping forward to the 42nd to 52nd verses. Listen for God's word to speak to you. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people urged them to speak about these things again the next Sabbath. And when the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who spoke to them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next day, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews said to the crowds, saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and blaspheming. They contradicted what was spoken by Paul. Then both Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken first to you, since you reject it and judge it yourselves to be unworthy of eternal life, we are now turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have set you to be a light for the Gentiles, so that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Well, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and praised the word of the Lord. And as many as had been destined for eternal life became believers, thus the word of the Lord spread throughout the region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their region. So they shook the dust off their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord God, thank you for your word written for us. By the blessing of the Holy Spirit in which you fill us with your presence. So that we may hear and know your word today. I pray that you would so fill us with your Holy Spirit that even my words, words from a sinner, words from unclean lips might pierce our hearts. That you would speak so loudly that my words would fade away and that your spirit and your word for us would be profoundly evident. 
Bless the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts. May they be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So from the title, you probably know exactly where I'm going right now. In 1987, a new Star Trek series began. There's, an, a, there's a fascinating documentary called Chaos on the Bridge about the first two or three years of production. tells the story partially of Gene Roddenberry, who had created the first Star Trek series. He had built it as wagon train to the stars. And then it was canceled. And then it was reinstated. And then it was canceled again. He then wrote... Star Trek, the motion picture, which completely flopped. He was then given sort of like executive producer sort of credit on the other movies, which made more money. But throughout Hollywood, he was a little bit considered a has-been. Until Paramount decided, let's make another series. And so... Gene Roddenberry took up this mantle, semi-reluctantly, but saw it as a chance for redemption. This time, this time he would do something even more. He brought to this new series some new thoughts. Over the years, he had, as he would go to conventions and that sort of thing, hawking his wares in order to put food on the table. A lot of people told him he was this visionary, had this beautiful vision of what the future might be, and so he started to listen to his own hype. And so this bright future was even brighter 100 years in the future after the original There were no social ills. They were all completely gone. The interpersonal sniping between you know, Bones and Spock were no longer a thing. And in fact, the directive to the writers was there, there would be no conflict between characters. Conflict, however, was not outside of the writer's room, which there was a lot of conflict and arguments, and micromanagement. It's an interesting story. But Gene Roddenberry ultimately saw this as a new chance. A restart. Instead of the shoot-from-the-hip cowboy sort of diplomacy of Jim Kirk was the austere leadership of Jean-Luc Picard. The diversity of the cast, which was pretty surprising for the 60s, was now even more diverse. 
giving more active roles to black and women actors as well. Each series after this would take on new spins and new ways of telling this story taking a new chance to, to re-examine all the things that came before and doing something bold and new. Our story this morning is, in some ways, a very similar one. We have the church in Antioch, which has, at this point, become almost a hub, a new hub, in addition to Jerusalem. But where Jerusalem has been sort of the hub, the, the headquarters for the church among the Jewish believers, Antioch is becoming this new hub, this new center of Christianity in the wider world, in the Gentile world. We are given a glimpse of their leadership, and it is a surprisingly diverse one. Look at this list. Now, in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas. We may remember that Barnabas was this uh, rich man who had sold a field and given the proceeds to the early church. He was given this name, Barnabas. That was not his uh, original name, but he's given this word, this name that means son of encouragement. He is that eternal optimist. He's the one who actually brings Saul into the church. But we have more. We have Simeon, who was called Niger. Probably a North African man. Lucius of Cyrene, from Cyrenia. Manan, a member of the court of Herod the ruler. So ethnically Jewish, but probably not overly religiously so. Part of this court of Herod, the sort of governmental leader, the, the spokesperson for Rome in Judea. And Saul. Saul, who we may remember we last saw on the way to Damascus in order to arrest with the intent to have killed believers of the way of the early Christian church. Since then, Lots and lots of people have tried to kill him. He's been snuck out of cities more than once. But Barnabas went to Tarsus where he was to bring him to Antioch, and he has now been there for the last year. It is this group of people gathered together in worship and in fasting to whom the Holy Spirit says, Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, excuse me, I've got something special for them to do. They will go out. They will go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, just as the apostles were called to go to, from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the world. They're on that sort of ends of the world side of things. but there's a little bit of a new flavor. Gentiles now are 
firmly established as those to whom the gospel must be sent as well. Saul, a devout and very knowledgeable in the Jewish religion and scriptures who could out-argue just about anyone, which is why they wanted to kill him a whole lot, would begin in synagogues and proclaim and preach. He had gone to this particular synagogue and preached this great sermon, and everyone asked him to come back the following Sabbath. But a crowd, picketers come up and and refute everything that he is saying, that Jesus is the Messiah. And so here, already at the end of chapter 13, he says, you know what? I'm done with y'all. Other people will proclaim the good news to you. But me? I'm going to go speak to the Gentiles they're actually listening. They had a vision of what the church could be. It was a little bit different. It would be messy, yes, but it was something new and fresh they were following where the Holy Spirit was leading. Y'all, I just came back from Montreat Conference Center. From the youth conference where 600 plus folks from all around, mostly the east half of the United States, gathered. And I saw a glimpse. Oftentimes we talk about youth as the future of the church, and in fact, they are. They are the future of the church, but they are also the church. They are the church right now. We saw diversity. The planning team was sort of specifically picked to be diverse. They were from different places of the United States and, and of the world. They're from different ethnicities, spoke different languages. The people gathered were from all over the United States. Racially, they were from all sorts of different places. Culturally, they were from different places. Theologically, they were from different places. Our preacher was a black Baptist from Atlanta. And every single one of the kids said how much they enjoyed his sermons. And he proclaimed. The church that is diverse. Where we don't always agree on everything because that's not the point of who we are as the people of God but that we bring our own backgrounds and flavors. We bring them all together and we are united together as the people of God called by Christ. He preached on the Tower of Babel. 
or people have a unity, but because they have a uniformity, all speaking the same language. They're building a tower with bricks that are all the same size and the same shape. He preached this from a beautiful sanctuary. I don't know if you've been there or seen pictures that is made of stone. Not uniform at all. I got a glimpse of what the church could be. As all of these diverse people came together to worship God and learn about Jesus Christ together. It wasn't always the way that I was comfortable or or knew exactly what they were doing. Our kids are super quiet most of the time. And yet, Caleb, the last several days, was playing a, a mobile game with this other girl who the first day did not smile at all because of her anxiety. The last several days, they spent chatting at one another, sometimes boisterously, which is not a word I would normally use to describe either of these people's communication. Communing with one another, playing a game together. I saw people from different places gathered in small groups, sharing sometimes some of their deepest challenges with one another, seeking to understand who God is together. I saw love poured out on all sorts of people. A new friend I made was James. James was born Katie. And he was afraid when he came to the conference because he didn't know if he would be accepted. In fact, he was not honest about who he was with his group, lest it get back to his church. And he had the first positive interaction with adults at this camp. A three-year journey that he has been on, these were the first positive interactions he had with adults ever. He experienced it from his peers who accepted him who he was. As I gathered in worship with all of these people, on the last night, on Friday night, we sang a beautiful song, which I will attempt to sing after the sermon. And y'all, I cried. I didn't just cry, I ugly cried. Because of this vision of what the church might be. Every generation 
re-examines. Every generation calls into question what has come before and sees what is yet to come. Every generation claims the truth of the gospel. Prunes away things that maybe are not central to the gospel. Throughout Acts, we see a people who are called to follow where the Holy Spirit is going. To follow where God is at work. Often it calls us out of our comfort zones. It calls us to other people who will proclaim the gospel in ways that would not be our first choice. But we are called to love one another because we have been so deeply loved. We are called to give grace to others because we have been shown grace that is truly amazing. Holy Spirit is at work. Always has been and will continue to be. Our job is to hear that call from God to go out, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to be the people of God. Amen.